Welcome to Full Disclosure, a podcast to provide legal information and updates to individuals, businesses and business advisors in South Australia. This podcast is brought to you by Meller Olson Lawyers, a full service South Australian law firm. The information, opinions and advice in this podcast are for general information only. In today's episode, we're going to be joined by partner Mark Gowans and senior associate Kelly Fussell. Mark and Kelly both work in our insolvency team here at Meller Olson Lawyers. Welcome, Mark and Kelly. Thank you, Lucy. Lucy. Thank you for having us. My pleasure. So, undoubtedly, COVID-19 has had a huge worldwide impact, not only from a health perspective, but also from an economic perspective. And the flow-on effects of that are going to be significant for businesses and companies. Kelly, what do you think businesses and companies are facing given the finalisation of JobKeeper payments? Well, if we look back at the last 12 months, I suppose we've all gone through so much change and that's brought us to where we are now. So, start of 2020, everyone was progressing normally about their life. All of a sudden, this COVID pandemic hits and instantly the world was completely different. So I suppose looking back at it now, we went from a, a, a position of um, of everything being day-to-day operational to then a period of lockdown, to restrictions on trading, to working from home. Many businesses I know were not equipped for that at the time. Um, so transitioning into that and now we're probably in a different situation again where some people are working from home, some businesses are back in the office, there are still restrictions on capacity at certain venues Um, and now we're at the point where JobKeeper is coming to an end and what does that mean from a financial perspective um, to many companies? Mm -hmm. So I understand the federal government implemented some new legislations. Can we talk through that a little bit and um, I guess looking more at the financial assistant and debt payment perspective? Well, the legislation which brought in was designed to provide relief to companies which um, obviously have had uh, their trading turned on its head and having to approach things from a different position. Many uh, businesses, including hospitality particularly, um, were essentially shut down by the government for a period of time. So the JobKeeper payments came in, they provided relief um, and an income for businesses which were otherwise denied um, the income they rely on for their day-to-day business to be successful and move forward. Right. So with these JobKeeper payments ending, um, I guess what does it mean for employers and businesses in regards to, I guess, servicing maybe the the overall running costs of the business? I guess during the JobKeeper payment period, there were lots of businesses that became reliant upon that money. Um, They've structured themselves in such a way as to move forward but on a on the skeleton system basis mm. and uh, taking that JobKeeper payment away now I think will be the ruin unfortunately for many businesses mm-hmm. particularly as well when we look at now um, we're moving from a base 9% mandatory superannuation payment to moving to 2025 that's going to be up to 12% mm. these are just more expenses that businesses are now going to have to wear at a time when the government's taking away JobKeeper which has propped them up for a period of time. And this is also bearing in mind that the temporary insolvency law relief has come to an end. Um, So there there was legislation introduced in March 2020, so I suppose a very quick reaction by the federal government um, to the pandemic to put in place some measures to protect um, companies from from what they were facing. Um, So we're now in a situation where that's ended 31st of December 
um, 2020. JobKeeper's coming to an end. It's a totally different um, situation to, to what companies were experiencing, obviously, before the pandemic, let alone during the peak of the pandemic. So I might throw this one to you, Mark. What were the intentions of the 2020 Temporary Insolvency Law Relief? The legislation was designed to protect uh, financially distressed companies, provide flexibility in the Corporations Act, and to provide uh, temporary relief for financially distressed individuals and businesses. Okay, so this is all wrapped up in line with JobKeeper. When did it end? Thirty-first uh, of December two thousand and twenty. Um, but I mean, having said that, with with what the intention of the legislation was, which is it's very obvious why that was introduced. But the flip side of that is that creditors have then been put in a position where their rights have been well diminished in in many respects. So through the COVID-19 pandemic, there was relief in relation to statutory demands, um, bankruptcy notices and insolvency trading. Can we spend a little time explaining what this has meant, starting with the statutory demands, perhaps? Pre the COVID legislation, uh, a statutory demand could be sent for a sum over $2,000 and a creditor had 21 days within which to respond to that statutory demand or make payment of the money. The legislation has allowed the debtor much more time, so you now have six months instead of 21 days, and the threshold has pushed out from $2,000 to $20,000. During that period, smaller debts couldn't be chased mm -hmm. using a statutory demand system. It had to be more than $20,000, mm -hmm. which took away a lot of the smaller rats and mice debts that people were chasing, and suddenly you had six months within which to respond. And I think that was largely designed to circumvent temporary cash flow issues, which so many businesses um, were facing last year. Yep. Um, and I suppose for those people at home who don't know what a statutory demand is, um, a statutory demand is, is a notice that you can serve pursuant to the Corporations Act um, on a company. It's in relation to a debt owed by a company to, it can be an individual, it can be another company. Um, and, and it's the catalyst for the insolvency process essentially. So if compliance does not occur with a statutory demand, uh, it creates a presumption of insolvency and that then enables the creditor to commence winding up proceedings. So it's a very serious notice. Right, okay. I believe the intention of the government was at a time when they were making JobKeeper payments to prop businesses up and allow them longer to get on top of the debts they had rather than being in a position where no one's trading, there's no money coming in and essentially every business mm. is going to be insolvent and suddenly there's just a rush. Yeah. Everyone's insolvent, the liquidators are, are busy, but uh, unfortunately there are no companies trading. So are we potentially looking at now just a delayed effect of that with this winding up? That is, that is what the speculation is. Right. So I guess, how about bankruptcy notices then? We're, we're anticipating that unfortunately we're going to see some businesses going down this path. What does this all mean? Well, similarly for companies, um, individuals have struggled. Um, while JobKeeper payments have been received, they're often less than uh, an individual was earning pre-COVID hitting and, and businesses ceasing to trade or with diminished trade. So similarly to the stat demand process, uh, now instead of being able to send a bankruptcy notice for a judgment of $5,000, uh, that amount threshold has now pushed out to $20,000 and similarly the 21 days has pushed out to six months. But again, that has all come to an end. Um, 31 December 2020. Right, so again, these temporary reliefs are gone. Correct. And JobKeeper 
is gone. Yes. Or going. Yes. And we're finding ourselves in a position where businesses are really starting to have to look at, I guess, how in, how solvent they are. Correct. What did um, it mean for trading insolvent? So insolvent trading, I understand that there was actually an ability for businesses to trade for a bit longer when they were potentially insolvent. Is that the case? The, the legislation brought in for the COVID also had a, a section in it dealing with insolvent trading. Ordinarily, if a director of a company allows a, a company to trade when it's insolvent, um, then that director will ultimately be, uh, if a liquidator chooses to chase him, be liable for the debts it incurs at a time when the company is insolvent. Now, the COVID legislation regime uh, provided a safe harbour so that directors could continue to trade even though they were aware their company may be insolvent and not be liable personally under the insolvent trading regime so as to allow companies the best chance to continue to trade, utilise the government's initiatives mm. and hopefully trade out and continue on after. Mm. So am I right that this also ended in December 2020? Yes and no. Right. <laughs> yes never, and no. never an easy answer. Okay. So the legislation as it was in place ceased on December 2020. However, there is now a new legislation which has been brought in place, um, which we'll touch on shortly. Okay. If that legislation is invoked, then the safe harbour regime allowing insolvent trading continues to remain in place up to 31 March 2021. Right. So this is, I guess, these legislative changes that in the way of small business insolvency reform, which was introduced in January 2021. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can we just get, discuss what these changes mean for business then? So this legislation was, well, I think for lack of a better description, rushed through. So we got to the end of 2020 and the federal government announced that there would be a whole new suite of, of significant amendments to, to insolvency law as we know it. So this has been the biggest reform to insolvency law for decades probably, um, perhaps since the introduction of voluntary administration. Um, so the legislation was introduced on the 1st of January. It, is, it introduces two key, um, two new key options, I suppose, um, to companies. So that's small business restructuring and small business liquidation. Um, so we'll, we'll touch on both of them separately and they are, there are some similarities, but there are obviously some differences too. Okay. So there has been some amendments to the way small businesses can restructure debt, as I understand, with this reform. What are these changes? So the small business restructuring is akin to the deed of company arrangement under uh, the voluntary, voluntary administration yeah. process prior to this legislation. However, it's a much more simplified version of it. It allows for uh, the company to uh, appoint a small business restructuring practitioner who, again, has a job akin to that of an administrator. However, it's a much more simplified process, uh, allowing the company to move through the restructuring process. Kelly, I might ask you, what is the process for small business restructuring? So the process is significantly simplified compared to voluntary administration, for example. It's perhaps more in line with the, the pre-existing debt, or Part 10, um, regime under the Bankruptcy Act, um, which we won't really go into detail today, but for those of you who are, who are listening or watching, um, you might have some familiarity with that process. 
Um, so to kick off the small business restructuring process, there needs to be a special resolution passed to appoint the small business restructuring practitioner. What a mouthful that is. <laughs> so we will just refer to that person as the practitioner from, from now on. Okay. Um, so to pass that special resolution, um, there, there needs to be reasonable grounds for suspecting that the company is insolvent or will become insolvent. And the director has to make a declaration to that effect. Right. So we'll touch on what that means later on um, in this podcast. Um, so that, that's the mechanism for commencing the process, but there are also some criteria around eligibility yes. um, for, for... Is it available to all companies or you know, is there a certain earnings threshold or something like that? Uh, the total debts level has to be below $1 million. Oh. Uh, in addition to that, uh, all of the employee entitlements need to be paid up to date and all of the uh, tax lodgements need to have been made. So quite a bit. And well, correct. And additionally, the company can't have gone through some sort of other external administration process um, in the last seven years. seven years. Okay. So it looks like there's quite a bit of criteria. Is there a chance that it could be rejected? Look, if you don't make, meet the criteria, it certainly will be rejected. Um, if it's rejected, the company goes back to the directors almost as if the process had never been begun. The issue is, though, you've had a director make a declaration that the company is insolvent mm -hmm. or likely to be insolvent, and the ramifications for that could be quite dire. We're in a position where, you know, if you're a creditor of a company looking inward, um, the director has uh, told the world uh, that the company is, mm -hmm. is insolvent, un unable to pay its debts as and when they fall due, and uh, the ramifications of that uh, obviously are there for the world to see. Well, that's right, and the director obviously has their director's duties not to be trading insolvent, so they're left in a very sticky situation, um, and they're liable, um, or they can be liable personally for debts of a company while trading insolvent. Um, so, I mean, perhaps from director's perspectives at this point in time, it's very important to revisit your your asset protection um, and, and how you have all of your... Yeah, that's right, you're planning how you have all of your personal assets. We actually um, touched on that in one of our other podcasts. Oh, excellent. With, um, Darren Fong, we're doing an asset protection planning podcast. So oh, fantastic. Tune in for that one. But that also brings us back to your other question earlier, Lucy. So if you do invoke this uh, small business uh, protection, then the safe harbour we were discussing before is extended until 31 March. Um, sorry, it is extended while your process is ongoing, so long as you invoke the process before 31 mm -hmm. March. Right, which we're now past. past. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good point. So if you don't mind, we might just jump back to that. You've told us that there needs to be a declaration of insolvency. We know that there's some criteria in which you need to meet in order to do this restructure. Can we talk a little bit about the process then, I guess? Upon the directors making the declaration and, and seeking to appoint the practitioner, the practitioner has 20 business days to, to submit a restructuring plan. The plan is then put before the company's creditors. The creditors have 15 days to consider the plan and the plan will be accepted so long as 50% of the value of the creditors vote it through. Uh, and I suppose the difference with this um, regime also is that the practitioner is not in charge of the company's affairs, which is very different to your standard voluntary administration um, where, where the practitioner is or essentially steps into the place of the directors. So um, they're, they're in charge of the company, for lack of a better description. Um, but in this scenario, the directors remain in control um, and they need to work in conjunction with the practitioner to, to come up with this plan to satisfy the company's creditors. 
can we talk a little bit about timeline? Like how, how long can this process take? Well, once the 20 days and then the 15 days, if the plan's accepted, um, the process can be as long as it needs to be. And it depends what the plan says. So, I mean, subject to the cash flow of the company, the creditors might be happy to accept satisfaction of their debt over many years, um, but that's a matter for them to decide. They might want their money in a more expedient manner. Um, but look, it's just a case-by-case -case scenario, I suppose. Um, but the actual, the plan, the restructuring plan itself and voting on that is designed to be done in a very um, expedient manner. Expedient manner. Um, okay. The plan itself will then thereafter dictate how it moves forward and the creditors will decide whether they accept that or not. So what happens if it is rejected? Well, as before, um, similarly to not putting a plan in, if it's rejected, uh, it, the company goes back to the directors as if nothing had ever happened. <laughs> but again, we're yep. still left with the declaration of insolvency. Mm. So earlier on you told us that there was a small business liquidation legislation change. What benefit comes from streamlining this liquidation process for businesses? Essentially it's all down to costs. Um, the liquidation process can take years, can be very expensive and um, as a result of that unfortunately creditors sometimes see very little return. This process is designed to streamline it, bring the cost down and hopefully get return to creditors as quickly as possible. Um, I understand that when you get an external liquidator involved that often they can be the one that retains a lot of the cost as well. Is that correct? And sometimes that the person that's trying to recover their costs don't actually end up with too much? Well that can be correct. Um, uh, liquidators are appointed, they go in, uh, their fees come out before a lot of other, well certainly before the creditors um, and, and as a result of that unfortunately yes there's often so this is why by streamlining the process, making it quicker, we should see that more of it should end up in the creditors' pockets. The liquidators have to quote on this process, so there's a fixed amount rather than an hourly amount they currently work on. And the idea is, yes, let's turn it around quickly, um, let's you know, close it down, it's liquidation, um, but hopefully get as much money as we can back to the creditors as quickly as possible. Feels like that's a great topic for another day. <laughs> yeah, so this is yeah quite, quite an involved um, topic and there's many different facets to it. So. Um, I guess from the liquidator's perspective, they are officers of the court, they have statutory duties and I know that there has been particularly a lot of comment by Arita, who is the insolvency um, official body, um, talking about how that may impact on liquidators and how are they able to satisfy their, their statutory obligations um, with this streamlined process. Um, so totally understand where the government is coming from in implementing this and I see the benefit to the creditors and also to the companies um, wanting to navigate their way through it. But from the liquidator's perspective, um, they probably have a very different take on it um, and it will be interesting to see how, how it all plays out. So if we just go back to the fact that we've got this new small business liquidation mm. legislation, is there eligibility criteria? There is, um, and it's essentially similar to what we've already touched on um, in relation to the small business restructuring process. Um, so you have to have that declaration of insolvency, there needs to be the special resolution passed as we already touched on. Um, the liabilities need to be less than a million, employee entitlements must be paid um, up to date, and all of the tax lodgements need to be up to date as well. So. It probably doesn't sound like that much, but if you are an insolvent company, um, that is actually quite, there's quite a lot of hurdles to, to jump over in, in our experience. It's, it can be quite uncommon for a company who is insolvent or likely to be insolvent to have 
all of their tax lodgements in particular um, up to date, lodged and up to date. Yeah, okay. So I guess there have been initiatives put in place to try and, I guess, cushion the blow of COVID-19. And we've seen that there have been um, some new legislations put in place whether we feel like they've been thought through, you know, as um, <laughs> as thoroughly as I guess um, we, they could be. we thought they could be, and only time will tell with that. I guess, unfortunately, what we can establish is that we believe that um, many businesses are facing pretty uncertain mm -hmm. futures. Sadly, I guess, um, what would you say from an insolvency, um, you know, legal expertise? What are some of the signs that I guess businesses should be looking out for that might be some of those signs that they might be starting to become insolvent? Well, perhaps we get before we get to that, I think what we'd like to say is that early detection of insolvency is really fundamental. So I totally understand that insolvency is a very daunting concept and there are many business owners out there who I'm sure are uh, uncertain as to where their business is at, what it's going to look like in the next couple of months and where to from here. Um, and we have certainly come across many, many, many companies in the past where the director has just buried their head in the sand and hoped that things would get better. Understand that, but it doesn't, it, it, does, it doesn't, uh, like most things in life, ignoring the issue does not make it go away. Right. <laughs> um, so, so particularly now with JobKeeper disappearing, landlords are now starting to expect rent to be paid again, which obviously wasn't changed for a period of time. Mm -hmm. um, we're now in a position where there is likely to be a shortfall and a lot of companies will be insolvent. So yeah. okay. in relation to that, there are a few pointers and things that people should look out for. And yeah. the, the starting point is perhaps the definition of insolvency in the Corporations Act, which is very interesting. Certainly so not a helpful definition. It is, it is not helpful and it's very circular. So the definition is that a person is solvent if and only if that person is able to pay all of their debts as and when they become due and payable. And a person who is not solvent is insolvent. So <laughs> that sounds a bit circular to me. It is. So does that help you with understanding what insolvency is? No, no. So I think if we could, let's maybe go through some more, I guess, layman relatable um, indicators, I guess, that people could relate to. O overarching, it, the what we're looking at is really, can a person pay the debt as and when they fall, fall due? But in getting to that position, there are a lot of uh, um, principles, indicators that we should be looking for, and they are... So the, it's quite a long list, so bear with me and I hope you don't all fall asleep listening to me. Um, so look, the, the, indicator, the key indicators of insolvency are, are as follows. Continuing losses, liquidity ratios below one, overdue taxes, so that's Commonwealth and state taxes, um, a poor relationship with, with the, the company's bank, including an inability to borrow any further funds. Um, no access to alternative finance, so I guess we're talking here about maybe third tier lenders or private lenders as opposed to your standard bank, as well, what we would call it. Um, inability to raise further equity capital. Um, suppliers placing the company on, on cash on delivery or imposing some other special terms um, upon which they'll continue to supply to that company. Um, creditors being paid outside trading terms, that is certainly not an uncommon one, I'm sure, at this point in time. Um, issuing post-dated checks, dishonoured checks, um, special arrangements with some creditors. So is that company, for example, um, opting to pay a particular creditor um, 
in advance of others because they need that particular supplier to continue as it's fundamental to their business. Um, letters of demand, so from lawyers or from other companies, court proceedings for debt recovery judgments um, or enforcement of judgments, um, payment to creditors of rounded sums which don't correlate to invoices, so just lump sum payments of $10,000, $15,000, whatever it might be, $2,000. Um, and an inability to produce timely and accurate financial statements. So we're looking at your profit and loss statements, your balance sheets, your um, projections and forecasts. Now, some of those indicators obviously uh, are obvious on their face and you'll know when your business is struggling. However, for others, you may need to go and see your accountant or your lawyers or even your banker for yeah. some advice yeah. as to how you're going and where your company's yeah. trending. Perhaps to work out your liquidity ratio, for example. I'm not sure that many directors mm -hmm. would know how to do that just off the cuff. <laughs> I certainly don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess, I mean, it's all very serious and it's all, I guess, um, a result of a global pandemic, which obviously nobody wants to find themselves in their business in a position where they feel that they might be, you know, unfortunately becoming insolvent. Mm -hmm. Any parting advice or takeaways before we wrap up? First and foremost, if you feel that your business company uh, or you are in a position where you may be insolvent, we would suggest coming and seeing your lawyer, your accountant as soon as possible. The earlier you move, generally the better outcome can be had for everybody. Unfortunately, most people don't go and see or seek external advice until such time as um, there is nothing left, the company is hopelessly insolvent and, and all that can be done is appointing a liquidator. Do you think we just see that as an additional cost that I possibly just can't afford right now, but actually it could be seen as an investment? Look, I certainly yes. think it is viewed as a, as a cost, but uh, liquidators, insolvency lawyers, bankers, they have dealt with this time and time again. Mm. Uh, they understand the process, they understand the legislation and what legislation can be used to your advantage. And quite often getting in seeing while it is a cost and maybe a cost going forward, there is generally an outcome which is better than liquidation that can be had if the person comes in early enough um, before the company is in such a dire position that it can't be done. And I suppose the decision to be made then is that the ultimate cost in that scenario can be losing your business. So um, from, a, from a personal perspective, I think that the decision to be made can often be, well, is it the cost of going to see my lawyer or my accountant and getting some advice and, and considering options, or am I going to pay the ultimate cost of losing my business and, and probably that person's livelihood? Uh, unfortunately, they, uh, the, the cost can be worse than just losing your business though. If your company continues to trade while you're insolvent, mm. there are debts which can come home to you personally as a mm. director. Mm. And we find situations where not only has a director lost his company, he's lost his income, but you know, his assets are now at risk, mm. at risk and maybe losing his house. All right, well, it's all very serious. I mean, we really hope that, I guess, maybe some of this advice and this understanding is going to assist some people who are feeling like they might be getting into some of that muddy water. Um, I guess, long and the short of it, we really hope that people don't need your services, but if they do, obviously, um, you're more than happy to help. I um, want to thank Mark and Kelly both for their time today. Thank uh, you very thank much, you very for, much having for having us. us. No worries. And, uh, yeah, look, hopefully, if people find themselves in these dire situations and we can be of some assistance. Yeah. Right. yeah, look, we are, we're here to help. The information in this podcast is general in nature. For podcast terms and conditions or for further information on Mark or Kelly and our insolvency team, please visit Mellor Olsen Lawyers at molawyers.com.au.